0: morning everybody Good morning, morning to those of you who are watching online as well I uh, want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 Matthew chapter 8 we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you you can grab one of those and uh, I can't remember the page and I don't have it written down I didn't last night and I forgot to get it uh, again but um, we're using the NIV so if you're using a smartphone or tablet device that's the translation we're using we're in a 10-week series called Meeting Jesus, and it's a series on Matthew 8 through 9. If you're new with us, we are working through Matthew uh, in a series of series, and we will interrupt it with other series as well. So we might finish a series, do something else, and then come back to Matthew, but we're working our way through it that way, and we've gotten pretty far pretty fast because we did one sermon on Matthew 5 through 7. (laughs) Uh, We won't be moving that fast. We did that because we had preached, uh, uh, done a series on it not that long ago on the Sermon on the Mount. So the big idea of the series is that meeting Jesus is a transformative encounter that redirects our lives in new and exciting directions. And today's encounter is a little bit different than some of the others because the encounter is actually with people that have already met him. It's with with the disciples. And uh, the disciples are going to be surprised by what Jesus can do. And it's very tempting to look at what the disciples, they're surprised and go, how could you be surprised? You know, after all you've seen, how could you be surprised? It reminded me of a scene from the television show from back in the 90s, Lois and Clark. And uh, there's, there's a, an episode where somebody comes from the future and is talking to Lois and says, Lois, we're, you know, in the future, we wonder, how could you be so dumb? You know, I'm Superman. No, I'm Clark Kent now I'm Superman. Like glasses confused you. And this kind of feels that way because we've seen Jesus do some incredible things. And at the end of the event, as we're going to read in a moment, the disciples say, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Now, from our future perspective, we look and say, can't you see he's the son of God? You should get that by now. And interestingly, the question is going to be answered in the next passage by a very surprising, unexpected source. But what Jesus does in today's passage is really much more impressive and much more stunning than what they've seen so far. It would impress them in a different way. In this encounter, Jesus demonstrates the kind of power that only god is supposed to have and he doesn't do it by invoking god's power he does it with his own words his own voice he's able to calm a storm simply by speaking to it it's a transformative encounter for the disciples so as we look at this passage, we're gonna be asking about, we're gonna be looking at it from the perspective of we have storms in our lives, figurative storms in our lives, so we will be asking that question. What can we expect? What can we know from this passage about our own, you know, as we enter our own storms. So we're not gonna stop there. We're gonna also ask the question, what are the theological implications of what hap- what's happening in this passage? And then with the theological implications In mind, we're going to come back to our storms, and we're going to see, I think, even more clearly how, um, what we need to know, some important things that we need to know when we're in storms of life that this passage teaches us. So as we look at the account, we're going to do that. We're going to look at storms, Jesus, and then storms again. And it's easy to lose confidence in God in our storms. You, you, may. Some of you here today, doubtless, with the number of people that we'll have on the weekend, there are many who have already, because of the storms in your life, or series of storms in your life, you have already lost confidence in God, and my hope is that it renews or births new confidence um, in Jesus in the midst of your storm. So let's pray together uh, the prayer of illumination that will be on the screen. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed we may meet jesus be transformed by him and follow him wherever he leads for the sake of your glory and your worldwide mission we pray this in jesus name amen we're gonna follow along in our bibles as a couple of our five oaks high schoolers who are Filming filmed the passage being read in Panama. They're in Panama right now on a mission trip, and uh, so they're going to be reading to us from Panama. Let's follow along. Matthew 8:23 through 27. Jesus calms the storm. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Then the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. All right, so we, we all uh, face storms in our lives. Sometimes they're uh, minor storms. Sometimes they're medium storms. Sometimes they're major storms. They might be losing a job or Failing a really crucial test uh, getting a cancer diagnosis Losing a loved one coming to the end of a marriage Facing a serious mental health crisis. These are some of the storms that that we experience in our lives and we all experience storms in our lives and so this passage really speaks to all of that it explains to us what we can know about jesus in the storms of our lives and what we can know about jesus will lead to greater peace in the storms i'm not saying it will lead to perfect peace in this life right now but it can lead to greater peace so here's the first thing you need to know jesus is with us in the storms jesus is with us in the storms so this this account actually starts a little bit earlier at the very beginning of the passage that we looked at last week. So if you look at verse 18, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. So everything that comes after that all the way up until verse 23 uh, are conversations in a sense that he's having on the way to get in the boat to cross to the other side of the lake. So for the disciples, the irony of the circumstances Of finding themselves in a storm, a storm where the disciples think that they're gonna actually lose their lives. The irony is that that they're actually there in that storm because they're following Jesus' orders. They're doing what Jesus said. They're following Jesus. It actually says in our passage, they followed Jesus into the boat. Jesus gave the orders. And because Jesus gave the orders and they followed him, they're afraid they're gonna die. They cry out to him, they're saved by him, and in a sense, the only reason they're even in the storm and need to pray to him for save, safety is because he has brought them to that place. And this illustrates what he told so many, um, even, even right in this passage, starting at verse 18, he said, following me is not going to be easy. He said this over and over and over again. In fact, um, that, that was one of the things, that somebody said, I want to follow you. And he said, I, I don't even have a home <laughs> Uh, you sure you want to follow me? It's not going to be easy. So if you think, and you might, that Jesus, following Jesus is going to make life easy or easier, or that because you're following Jesus, life is going to become smoother than whatever it is you're experiencing now, I want you to stop and think a little bit about where maybe you got this idea. Where does it come from? It might be helpful to trace that idea back to its source. Uh, were you told this by someone did you just assume that because of all the promises that jesus makes and because he's god and if we're going to follow him did you just assume that things are going to be easier easier is it that maybe you haven't really read much of what jesus has said about what it means to follow him so that you just haven't put two and two together and realize it's going to be difficult We actually need to rid ourselves of the idea that following Jesus makes life easier. It just makes life harder when things become tough, when we think they should be easier. It's just going to make things a lot, a lot harder. A first step then is ridding ourselves of that idea. Jesus said, following me is going to, for some families, it's going to cause division in those families. Uh, Following me means you're going to die to yourself. That's not easy, dying to yourself and that it is going to, in some cases, invite persecution from some people. None of that is easy. It's not easy following Jesus. So when the storm hits, Jesus is with them, they're following Jesus, and as we read, he's sleeping. He's like in total peace in spite of the waves that are violently pitching. There's all the noise, all the chaos, that would be going on in a situation like this. So look at verse 23. It says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up in the lake, which is common in that lake for that to happen because of the geography of that area. So that the waves swept over the boat. It's not a big boat. (laughs) But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're gonna drown. In Mark's gospel of this account, uh, accounting, giving an account of the same event, the disciples are much more accusatory. They actually say, don't you care that we're going to drown? And I think there's a little bit of accusation in their words here in Matthew as well. When you go through a storm like this, it's an ordeal. But it's not just an ordeal of the storm, it's an ordeal of wondering why why isn't God doing anything about it? It's, it's a sense that God doesn't care or maybe just a thought that maybe God doesn't care. Now, interestingly, this is a, a theme that's found in the Psalms over and over again. And it's vividly expressed in terms, uh, interestingly, of God being asleep, like Jesus is, in the boat. Uh, it's literally what Jesus is doing in the boat, and in these Psalms, they're accusing God of being asleep, and this, these, are not, these are accusations. They're not, it's not like they believe that God takes naps every once in a while and may need a little rousing. Okay, these are accusations. Uh, so, in Psalm 7, awake, my God, decree justice, because justice doesn't seem to be done. Awake and rise in my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord, because my enemies are overcoming me. Awaken your might. Come and save us because we're, we're losing and you're not doing anything about it. Over and over again, the psalmist is suggesting that God might be sleeping when he should be awake and he should be helping. And, and as troubles, troubles continue to mount, they lead to the conclusion in the psalmist's hearts and minds that, that maybe it, God doesn't care about it. Maybe God is just like ignoring it. They don't really believe He's sleeping, uh, but they're accusing Him of acting like someone who's sleeping. It's really clear in Psalm 44 where it says, awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. I don't think they think He's really sleeping. I think they're accusing Him of sleeping on the job. That's what they're doing. They're just accusing. These are psalms of accusation. Imagine that. In the prayer book of God's people, which is what the psalms are, the prayer book of God's people, it includes prayers that accuse God of sleeping when he's most needed. Now, these same psalmists, probably all of them, also had the conviction that God never sleeps because he cares about them. And so that conviction is shared in Psalm 121 where it says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In other words, that's their conviction. God does care. This is what they believe when there's not a storm happening in their lives. This is what they believe. This is their conviction. I have no reason to believe that... That this is not their true conviction, and the storm is actually bringing out you know, we, we tend to say that the storms in our lives bring out what we really believe. But I think we can believe two things at once, or I think our beliefs can change dependent on our circumstances. And their conviction in the peace, their conviction in the peace is that God never sleeps and that God does indeed care. He doesn't sleep because he cares. And the psalmists really are demonstrating. How hard it is to hold on to our convictions in the storms of our lives. Um, It's why we we need to keep reminding each other that God cares about us in the storms, even if we don't quite feel it. That's what we do for each other. We remind each other of that. The scripture, we read the scripture, and it reminds us over and over again. Jesus, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus promises to be with us, his disciples, his followers, all the way to the end of the age. He's going to be there. He's with us in the storms. That's why we can know he is with us in the storms of our lives, because he said he would be in the storms. He's with us in the storms, like he was with the disciples in that storm. He's present in that storm. So Jesus is with us in the storms. Here's the second thing. We need to know, Jesus is God over the storms. This is the theological reflection on this. I, I don't think that disciples, we know that disciples don't get it. We have uh, some advantages of you know, more information and calmness right now to be able to consider this. But again, as you continue to read the story and you see Jesus calm the storm, there's gonna be other Psalms that if the Psalms were your prayer book, these other psalms would also come to mind as you read this story. Ones that come to mind are psalms where God is spoken of as ruling over nature, especially the chaotic waters, especially the storm. So in Psalm 89, it says, you rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up, you still them. So if the Psalms are your daily prayer book and you're reading the story and you're meditating on the story is we're called to meditate on Scripture. That's how we're supposed to read Scripture. We're supposed to meditate and think, where else have we heard this? How else have we seen this? And make those connections in Scripture. These kinds of Psalms are going to come uh, to our minds. Then in Psalm 107, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed talking about God. And so Jesus is demonstrating God-like power when he stills the storm by his own voice. And what do the disciples say at the end of the account in verse 27? Let's look at that again. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In other words, Humans don't have this kind of power. Only God has this kind of power. But Jesus is human. So, what kind of human is He? Divinity of Jesus is just far from their minds at this point. Okay, so let's review. This account of Jesus stilling the storm reminds us That Jesus is with us in the storms. Not just this, but Jesus' promises. And so as we see him with the disciples, we can say yes, in the midst of our storms, Jesus is there uh, as as well. But it goes deeper. It is telling us that Jesus is God who rules over the storms. Even if that's too much of a stretch for the disciples at this point, we have more information. So we we can know that. We can be reminded of that. He does indeed rule over the storms. Now, let's get personal again. Let's bring it back to our own lives because this gets really personal when we see that it is precisely Jesus who is God over the storms. He is the one that's with us in our storms. The God of the storms is with us. The God of the storms, not just Jesus. The God of the storms. So it's not just, it doesn't just remind us that Jesus is with us as a kind presence with us. Um, just suffering with us. He's so much more. He's the all-powerful God. And he's with us in our storms, even the most intense storms isn't. He is a kind presence, but he's not just a kind presence. He is the God over the storms. Now, I want to I show you how I think this story is meant to be read and reflected upon, um, yeah, how it speaks to us today, how we can process this, how it might lead to greater, to bring those convictions in a greater way, to give us the peace that we need or greater peace in, our, in the storms of our lives. So I want you to look at it again, beginning in verse 23, get the, the feel of the movement of the story. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. All right, so it goes on in verse 26. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Now, You of little faith is actually one word in Matthew's um, Greek. uh, He writes in Greek, and it's one word, and it's it's like a like a name, little faiths. He refers to them as little faiths. And then he says what he's gonna say. And the big lesson for us begins with a question. How do we read this? Okay, so the big question for us begins with a question: little faiths, why are you so afraid? question is in the scripture. Now we need to ask a question. What kind of question is this? What kind of question is this? If you get what kind of que- if you don't get what kind of question this is, you you can really go in 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 some ways that are not going to be very helpful for you in experiencing greater peace. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what kind of question this is and I'm going to just kind of work you through a little bit of my thinking as we as we do. So I want to before Before, I want to understand how important this question is, I want to up the ante a little bit, because according to one source that I looked at when preparing for this, uh, I didn't fact check it, but it can't be that far off, it said this is the only time that in the whole Bible this question is asked, why are you afraid? Whereas, don't be afraid, the the statement, the comforting statement, don't be afraid, (laughs) happens over 120 times. So, it feels kind of important that Jesus is saying, why are you afraid? And it's really just, why are you afraid? Not, why are you so afraid? You shouldn't have been so afraid. You could be afraid. It's, it just says, why are you afraid, actually? I fact-checked that. Fact that one. So, um, it feels important. But let's really quickly eliminate one of the one of the possibilities about what kind of question this is, it's, it's really not just a simple question with an obvious answer rooted in the situation, right? He's not clueless about the situation. He's not like, he just woke up and they're yelling at him and he's like, why are you so afraid? It's not, it's not that kind of a question, you know, like he hasn't noticed the storm yet type of question. That's not what's happening here. Um, he doesn't give them time to answer. <laughs> he just acts, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I think that's important to understand. But if later he, he would go back, you know, I, in the midst of that storm, I asked you a question. Why don't you answer now? Why were you so afraid? They would have said something like, we're afraid. We were afraid because there was a good chance that we were going to die a horrible death by drowning. I see Peter on The Chosen, that, that character, the the actor, saying, some of us made our living on a lake while you were working as a carpenter. <laughs> you can trust our assessment. We were in deep trouble. But I don't think that's the question he was asking, the one with the obvious answer, okay? All right, so let's, let's eliminate that one. I think he's asking a question for reflection, a question for them to reflect on afterwards. Uh, not, not in the moment, in the storm. <laughs> was, what? I mean... Uh, Just imagine, it's hard to imagine, but in that kind of situation, how terrifying it would be, unless you're just like a thrill lover and it would have been so exciting for you. The rest of us would have been very scared. Um, There is no time for reflection. It's a question for them to ponder when they think back to this moment. It's a question to ponder for all of us. When we read this story, when we hear this story, so it's a, a reflection question. So, what's Jesus hoping they learn after they reflect on their fear of dying in the storm? All right. What is he hoping they learn? Now, it could be that he wants them to think back and think, yeah, yeah that was dumb, <laughs> you know? We were with Jesus, okay? It could be that he wants them to just think back and go, why, why were you afraid when, when I was with you? And if it's that kind of question, it's a, come on, man, type of question, right? <laughs> like, come on, man, you've seen me heal and cast out demons and cleanse people, and you think this storm is gonna stop me from accomplishing everything that I've come to do? I said we were going to the other side, didn't I? <laughs> it's time for you to grow up, and start exhibiting stronger faith. Now, I made that sound kind of negative, but there may be a little bit of that in this question, and there are other places in the Gospels where Jesus asks them some questions that are kind of like, come on, man, type of questions. All right. So I'm not saying there's nothing of that in there, but I don't think that's the primary thing. Not, that's not how I see it. I think, um, let me, this is going to be a little out there, but follow along with me, okay? Uh, So, you remember that show, Fear Factor? There have been other versions of it, uh, but the whole idea is it's kind of like hand camera and, you know, you you have a victim, you get some of their friends involved, you get some actors involved, you create a very elaborate situation, and you scare people really, really badly, and then there's the big reveal at the end, there's a a more recent one that, as I remember it. with the guy from Stranger Things, if you've seen it, one of the characters, one of one of the actors, and uh, and at the very end, when the person's right, you're, you're like, you've taken this far enough. Even I'm saying that, and I like to scare people, and and the and I think it's him. I can't I can't remember exactly. I didn't I didn't go back and check, but I think it's him. He turn to the person who's been being scared, and they say, "Are you afraid?" And They go, yeah, and then they pull back the curtain, and they show cameras, cameras, cameras. People come out, you know, who are in on it and everything, and they're not afraid anymore. It's like it's nothing was happening here. There was nothing to be uh, afraid of. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying Jesus has staged all of this. Okay, like one of those shows. That's not that's not the comparison. The storm is real. The danger is real what i'm comparing it to is that pull back the curtain moment in those shows jesus pulls back the curtain in a sense showing them what they have failed to grasp up till this point he is god over the storms he is god over the storms and god is with them in the storm um, so this question why are you so afraid is a reflection question and when they think about it and think back to what they've now already seen that he has the ability to stop the storm and they think back to what's happening next the very next passage when they think back to this series of events he wants them to come to a realization, kind of a, of course, why was I afraid? And really, why am I ever afraid? As long as Jesus is with me. Now, you see what, see what I mean? So, Jesus doesn't give him, it's not like, I want you to think about this, and I'm not going to calm the storm until you answer my question. <laughs> it's a, why are you so afraid? Supply the word when, be still. And it's still. Think about that one for a while. Now this can go really badly if you take this passage and you isolate it from everything else that Jesus says and you draw the wrong conclusion from this passage. Jesus isn't saying that he's with you because he's with you. You will never suffer and you will never die. Okay, he's not saying that. In fact, trusted historical traditions tell us that three of the disciples would later die by drowning. I just made that up. I, I, I just made that up. But to make a point, they could have died by drowning, okay? There's no like promise here. No disciple will ever die by drowning or any any other horrible way. They'll all die in their sleep and come be with me. It's, it's not that kind of a promise. Another wrong conclusion is that. You should spend your life beating yourself up every time you're afraid because you have no reason really to be afraid, okay? That's, I think, how a lot of us read this. It's like, yeah, why, why am I ever afraid? And then when I'm afraid, uh, why am I afraid? Blah, you know, that kind of thing. That's not, that's, not, that's not a good way to take this passage. Jesus is offering an invitation, He's offering an invitation to grow our faith and experience greater peace in the storms. Now, he's the one that's going to grow our faith, but we have to cooperate with him. He is offering an invitation to experience greater peace. It's a gift that he's offering us. Not a, like, reprimand. It is a gift that he's offering us. It's an invitation. Jesus isn't trying to shame them or you into greater faith. It's like Jesus is saying, next storm, think about me being with you. Think about me pulling back the curtain. While your goals and plans might very well be disappointed and uh, thwarted, my goals, my plans, my purposes will never be disappointed And this is good news for you because I have included you in my plans. That's what we have. We have that invitation to remember and pull back the curtain and recognize we're part of Jesus' plans. So whatever I experience, there is something greater. It's an invitation. I remember years ago hearing uh, Tim Keller, who's a who was a pastor in Manhattan. And he was talking about what happened in 9-11. So his church is about one mile from uh, where um, the Twin Towers were. And he said that when that happened, he was a, a little bit taken aback by his own response because he was in many ways overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. And he, he actually thought that maybe he had the kind of faith in Jesus and had grown enough to be able to face a situation like that with greater peace than what he was experiencing. But he wasn't experiencing peace. He was experiencing anxiety and fear. I remember hearing him talk about this and what stuck in my mind, um, and, and he said, and and he didn't use these words, but basically what he said, it was it, it was an invitation to me to grow closer to God and to trust Him more, and to learn to trust Him more. That's, that's what he said. And so, uh, what, what really struck me, I've never forgotten this, I may have told this story before, I don't remember saying in a sermon, but what really struck me, and I think of it often in situations like this, is that he he wasn't berating himself he wasn't like talking like i've got this horrible confession <laughs> that even though you know i'm a world famous pastor i had fear and anxiety it wasn't like that at all it was just like normal normal human being you know and he wasn't berating himself he was really seeing it again he didn't use this language but he was really seeing it as invitation i have an opportunity i have still have breath, I still have an opportunity to grow to trust God more. So in the next storm, I'm going to experience greater peace than in this one. I might be able to experience greater peace than in this one. This, past, this passage, again, it's an invitation to look behind the curtain and experience greater peace in the storms of your life. It's an invitation. Now, here's the thing. The disciples got to see this with their own eyes. Okay, they, they got to see this with their own eyes. But there's going to be another storm, another literal storm. Jesus isn't going to be in the boat this time. We'll get to it, who knows when. But we're going to get to that passage. Jesus instead, at one point, appears walking on the water. Okay? They see him walking on the water. <clears throat> they are filled with fear. Okay, it's not like, oh, we've seen this before. <laughs> you know, water. You know, no reason to be anxious. Woohoo! You know, uh, you know, let's ride the waves. You know, no, they are afraid. They are still afraid. There's going to be another storm, bigger storm, that's going to be hitting them later, and that's the storm of Jesus being arrested, Jesus being tried, Jesus being crucified. How are they going to react during that storm? We know the story. Most of us know the story, right? Peter denies that he even knows him. They're all afraid that they might be included, you know, be brought and crucified with him. Not unusual for that kind of thing to happen. So they run because they are afraid. And in their fear and in their anxiety, they they pretty much think it's all over. They don't remember anything that he's ever said. They've never really understood this whole resurrection thing. And as far as they know, it's completely, it's completely over. They would fail repeatedly. We have the stories in the Bible. They would fail repeatedly, and yet we see some growth as they go on to the point where probably almost all of them died martyrs' deaths for Jesus. And we see, it, we see you know, before that point, we see where they stand up, and they're willing to go to their deaths They're willing to go to their deaths for Jesus, but they they weren't in that place when they were sitting in the boat. This passage is an invitation to look behind the curtain. Jesus who promised to be with you until the end of the age is God over the storms. So it's an invitation to grow deeper, stronger, bigger faith. It's a process that's gonna take a lifetime and it is not gonna be completed until we meet Jesus. That's when it's going to be completed. And he's going to complete the transformation. So as you begin to respond today, accept Jesus' invitation to experience greater peace in whatever storm you're in, knowing that he is with you and that he is God over the storms in your life. He plans, his plans, his eternal destiny, your eternal destiny are secure because of him. All right. All right. We're going to begin our response here. Well, let me, let me pray, and then I'll tell you about the response. Father, thank you so much that you are God over the storms. Thank you, Jesus, for what you demonstrated. Thank you for Holy Spirit for teaching us. Bring this deep into our hearts and work it out in our minds. Work it out in our bodies as we respond and react to fearful situations. Work your peace through us. We want to we trust you more. Help us to trust you more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.